Hello, and welcome to the Montessori School of Denver Community Podcast Series. Each episode, you'll hear the latest parenting information and advice from Montessori School of Denver educators and community members. We hope these new tools will give you fresh insight into how you can bring the Montessori philosophy into your life and home. Enjoy the episode! I'm Tori Burley, the Literacy Specialist at the Montessori School of Denver, and I'm here to share some insights on supporting literacy development at home. I've been working with emerging readers for the last 12 years, as well as doing literacy intervention for the last two, and I'm trained as an Orton-Gillingham therapist. The reason that this topic is so important to me is because at this age, children are learning to read, but later in their life, they'll be reading to learn. And the literacy foundation that they set now will set them up for success throughout their educational career as well as their adult life. The first step is enriching your literacy environment at home. So when I'm talking about the literacy environment, I'm thinking about the things that your children see around them, what's in their space at home. If you even get down to your children's level and look around, are there books available? Are there, if they're learning their letters, are there letters around on the wall? What can they see in their space? Another easy thing to do is model reading for pleasure yourself and preferably with a real book. I think our kids see us a lot of times looking at tablets and phones and things, but to see us actually holding a physical book and reading it for pleasure is really beneficial. Um, reading out loud to your children is never a waste of time, regardless of their reading ability. A, you're getting some nice time together, you're building that relationship, but they're also hearing the cadence of how you read. They're hearing the pacing, the tones you're using. They're also hearing all the rich vocabulary that's in the books. If we think about our vocabulary when we speak to each other, it's often not to the same level of the vocabulary and richness that's in literature. So if we're reading to our kids, they're hearing a wider breadth of vocabulary. And enriching their vocabulary is also helpful for building that literacy. If as an adult you're trying to read and you come across some big medical word or something that you've never read before or heard before, you don't know if you've read it correctly, but if it's a word you're familiar with, you're a lot more likely to read it successfully and know that you've read it successfully. And so it's the same for children. If they've got a wider vocabulary, they have a bigger bank to pull from when they're trying to read. Um, also, verbalizing when you use reading yourself as a tool. Maybe you're reading a sign in the airport to figure out where to go. You can say to your child, I don't know where I need to go, but I can read that information on this sign. Or at a restaurant, I'm not sure what I'm going to have for dinner tonight, but I can read my options right here and showing them that reading is a valuable tool to have available. Of course, you should have lots of books in your environment. Um, books that if your child is reading that are at their level, but also things that are beyond their level that you can share with them. Uh, screen time we know is not necessarily ideal and not the first thing to jump to, but I'm a working mom in grad school and I get it. I understand that sometimes we do use screen time, but to be thoughtful about that, there's so many educational apps out there things that you can use, um, like Lexia as well, if you're here at MSD, um, shows like Super Y, or there's games on PBS Kids that have lots of learning opportunities. 
If you're watching the TV, just turning on the subtitles, things like that that will draw their attention to the language and the written language without having it be a power struggle or anything like that. After you've enriched the literacy environment, the next step is teaching your children phonological awareness. And phonological awareness is understanding that words are made up of little pieces of sound. So hearing the word cat and being able to hear that k sound at the beginning and recognizing that there's k, a, t. Hearing those different sounds is a skill that we're trying to build. Um, this skill does not require any letter knowledge. They don't need to know what their letters are to do this because it can all be done auditorily. So you can do this with children at any age. And the way that we usually start this is things like rhyming and hearing the beginning sounds. So rhyming you can see in tons of books, songs, games, poems. Um, you can play rhyming games. I spy something that rhymes with bear and there's a chair in the room, something like that. Um, initial sounds, you can also play I spy with that. I spy something that starts with ch, ch for that same chair. Or asking your child to come up with something. Or what's the first sound you hear in banana? And letting them pick out that sound. Um, what's another word that starts with b, if they can come up with that? Kind of helping them just hear that those little pieces are in the words. The eventual goal with phonemic awareness is the ability to segment and blend words. So if they can hear all of those sounds in a word, then eventually they'll take that skill into writing. So if they can hear the word cat and hear k-at, they'll be able to spell that word once they learn their letter sounds. And the same with blending except for reading. If they can hear k-at and put it together to cat, they'll be ready to read once they have those letter sounds as well. But we start with that phonological awareness. After they are working with that phonological awareness, we'll start introducing the alphabetic principle, which is just essentially the letters and their sounds. And the reason that we use letter sounds is because it's a lot easier for the emerging reader to see those letters written with the example of cat. If they look at that and say, C-A-T, that doesn't sound like cat. But if they look at that and say cat, it sounds a lot closer to the word cat and they're a lot more successful in putting that together. The letter names are useful for functioning in the adult world and it's a good thing to know, but our focus during emerging literacy is the letter sounds. We also try to be really precise with our sounds so that we're not adding that uh sound at the end, like the B says B, not B, because it, again, when you're trying to read, if you're seeing it as kata, it doesn't sound quite as close to cat. So if we can take that a uh sound at the end off, we can get them a lot closer. When we're teaching those letter sounds, it's helpful if we can take a multi-sensory approach. So if they're using their hand to maybe trace the shape of the letter, they could do this on textured carpet or even on their leg, on their pants, something like that, that their fingers can feel and get a little bit of sensory feedback from. And then they should also be hearing it as they say it and seeing it. So that way we're able to 
capitalize on each child's strengths and what works best for their brain. They're getting it through all these different pathways and building that memory a lot stronger. There's so many letter sounds for an emerging reader that if we can help them out in any way, we should. And they'll need a lot of repetition as well. There's just so many. So it takes time and that's okay. Um, it also helps to make it meaningful. Like we talked about earlier, verbalizing when you use your reading, that'll come in handy here too. If they're seeing that there's a value to knowing these letters, they're a lot more inclined to take interest in it. And if they're interested, it comes more easily. So once you've built those skills of the phonological awareness and the alphabetic principle, kids are ready to start reading and writing. In Montessori, we start with writing first. It's often easier for the child to hear the word and the sounds and put them down because they've already got a known quantity. They know what the word is that they're trying to spell. There's less guessing involved for a lot of kids. So we'll start there. Um, we do use some tools to help children with that, such as a movable alphabet, which is just a box with all the letters in it that they can build words without needing the fine motor ability to write the letters themselves. We don't want fine motor skills to be a roadblock to literacy. So we can give them those tools to help them with that. Another tool that we use um, that would be really easy to do at home is just using a highlighter or a yellow marker and letting your child tell you the sounds and you can write it with the marker and then they can trace it with a pencil. We can also use things like fridge magnets that they could put together and that would be a similar tool to the movable alphabet. Your child could help you with things like writing lists, maybe a grocery list or a packing list, maybe a wish list for a birthday or a holiday that's coming up. They could try writing in a journal Maybe some families at our school have a gratitude journal where they're writing things that they're thankful for, those kinds of things. Even if it's just one word at a time, they could write a story or maybe write a letter to somebody, a grandparent or a friend at school, a teacher. Um, sometimes it's enough to get children excited about it if they can use a word processor or email or a text and it's still the same skill. They're still having to hear those letter sounds and find the letters, but it just is that point of interest that gets them excited about it. Um, at this age, when they're learning, phonetic spelling is great because that shows us that they understand that the letters make the sounds and that the words are made up of those sounds. So we know that the foundational pieces are in place. As they get a little bit older into maybe the later elementary years, if there's still phonetic spelling, we might be more concerned, but as they're learning, that really shows us that they're understanding and everything's going well for them. So that's something to celebrate. When you're reading with your child, really think about the book selection because we want children to feel successful. And there's a lot of marketing around level one readers or early readers, and there's a very wide variety on what that means. And often level one is not appropriate for those kids that are just starting to read because there's a lot of sight words, too many words on a page, some things that are tricky for them. 
So just be aware that that level one is not always appropriate right at the start. If you need help on selecting books, I would definitely talk with the teacher or Maggie, our librarian, is a great resource. But you want to find that balance of the book being engaging for your child, but also still successful. Um, if we use what we call a five finger rule sometimes, where if the child is not able to successfully read five words on a page, it's probably too difficult for them. And that success is really important. So we want to provide children with as much support as they need as they're reading a book. Um, sometimes if they're trying to read something a little beyond their level, you could read the book to them first so that they have some context to pull from and then try it themselves. You could read it and then pause on a few words that you know that they could do and let them fill in those words. Uh, if they're working on their phonological awareness, you could say the sounds and let the child blend it together. Um, if they're working on their letter sounds, maybe they could say the letter sounds and you could blend it together. Just something so that they're participating but not having to do all of it if it's too much. If there's too much text on the page, you could also use a note card or just a white piece of paper to cover up the extra text. So they're only looking at one or two lines at a time. As they're reading, if they come across words that are too difficult, when you can explain to your child how and why those words are read that way. So for example, um, G says G, unless followed by an E, I, or a Y. So if your child comes across the word giraffe, you could explain that to them so they understand that it's not such a mystery. English is tricky, but there are rules. And if you're not very familiar with those rules, in the description for this podcast, there's a link to download a cheat sheet with those sounds on it so that you can help your child kind of decode English, which is a pretty difficult thing to do sometimes. If the words are well beyond their level, it's okay to just read it to them. They don't need to be expected to read every word. All of that said, there's a wide range of typical literacy development. However, reading challenges do come up from time to time, and they're most successfully addressed if we respond early. So if you've been working on these skills with your child and you feel that they're not coming together, it would be a good idea to talk to your classroom teacher or to reach out to me directly. We do have a better understanding now of how to support children with reading difficulties, so it's great if we can start working with them as quickly as possible. But if you give your child a rich literacy environment and support their ability to hear the different sounds in words and link those sounds to written letters, reading and writing can come naturally and with ease. Remember that you and your child's teacher are on the same team. When parents and teachers collaborate in building a literacy-rich environment, your child will be set up for success on their reading journey. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Montessori School of Denver Community Podcast Series. For more information about the Montessori School of Denver and a Montessori education, visit us at www.montessoridenver.org.